I met this guest, Todd, on LinkedIn. I think that's an under-discussed channel of mid-30s and above male friendship, oddly. Probably within the last six months to a year. We interacted on a few posts about different work things and then taped this episode, which starts with a look at the early days of TiVo. Todd was actually in the room the first time live TV was paused. Then we get into parenting and the idea of 13-year-olds having a moral obligation to be dicks to their parents. And then we get into some life lessons, including what he learned from a book called Cured. Along the way, there's also a discussion about the swim lanes of life and how to decide whether to even have kids. Hope you enjoy. All right, let's roll. its own thing and you know in the in the early days um the every single um like uh cable service came to tivo and said let please let license us your technology we want to put it in our boxes and we'll give you a royalty for every single box and every single subscriber and and tivo made the decision that they wanted to be the box and they they wanted to see the little tivo guy on top of tvs and there was a a little bit of an ego thing that made some bad decisions and and uh as a result it never quite became you know and and then right. the cable services made their own dvrs which weren't which which even now aren't as good as the first generation tivo right um but you know yeah, la vie. yeah i mean i uh i like um probably like a year I had been like a, I had been a cord cutter for uh, probably like six years, right? And then oh, wow. probably like a year ago, um, to get my girlfriend like an iPhone upgrade, I like took this cable package, right? And now I like DVR a bunch of shit because I have this like cable package that I'm right. paying for, right? And it's interesting though because I like. That within the past year, I feel like at least once I thought about like TiVo in that world, and I was like, damn, like even like generation 1.5 of TiVo is better than like standard cable DVR. That's right. Yeah. Well, and, and the, so the 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 original engineers and especially the early uh, user interface people team were just off the charts. Right. And. And uh, what they did and the experience that they created were just so all the way down to the little badoop 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 sound that the remote right. made when you fast forward. It's it's crazy, you know. And so there really was this uh, amazing community that was built because the product was so good. Um, but every once in a while, you you know you we get in our own way and we definitely got in our own way. Yeah. So how long were you, did you end up, were you there overall? Uh, I was there, I think total a year and a half, two wow. years. And, um, I met my wife there, so I can't complain about that. As a um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it could go either way. In this case, right. it was a win. Yeah. Right. All right. All right. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, it was, we, I was there 
for the IPO, which was an amazing experience. I was at, I've been at two, gone through that twice, neither of which made me anything, but it was still just a, an, an incredible experience to be part of. And, and I was in the room the very first time uh, a show was recorded on a DVR and I was in the room the very first time live TV was paused. Uh, and that, that's just cool stuff, you know? Yeah, man. Those are, uh, those, I mean, like people that are super anti-tech, I'm kind of like about 75% pro-tech and I have like a kind of a gray area on 25%. Uh, Yeah. People that are uh, anti-tech could be like, oh man, that's virtue signaling or whatever, but it seems pretty cool actually. If I was, Physically no. in the, if I was physically in the room when someone was like pausing uh, live TV for the first time or whatever, I'd be like, man, this is cool. I'll probably remember this for a, for a, for a solid number of decades. Well, what's funny is I remember when I was a little kid and I was watching the Flintstones probably, yeah. and my parents my parents called me into lunch or dinner or whatever, and I I ran in. And I ate and I was, you know, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to finish and go back and pick up where I was. And they were like, uh, no. Yeah, you can't that, do that. that. You can't, you can't do that. And so right. I remember when I, when I went and interviewed at TiVo and they were talking about what they were doing, that story, which I hadn't thought about in forever, obviously came just rushing back to the front of my mind. So the fact that it, it, it really sort of, it, it just hit a nerve for like some childhood memory that was just kind of a, a kind of a cool thing. And, you know, I, I don't watch a ton of TV. I think there's it just, and right now I can't watch any people keep asking me if I've watched season three of Ozark and I'm like, I can't, I just, I just can't. Really? Um, <laughs> and, um, but you know, I, it was cool to be part of that. Like I, I appreciated being part of that. And, you know, I, I I'm, ancient now so i care more about like what my kids doing than what i did but right you know i i'm glad i had that experience well, and, what do you think like having been kind of in that world for like I don't know, a little over 20 years now i guess what what do you think about the whole like cult of product thing now it feels like all all we care about is uh product and we release like these new iterations that really aren't any different just to like, say we have a new <laughs> product and like, right. it just feels like we went like in 98, 99, even like the pre bust and like a, probably even like six, seven years after that bust, it felt like we were like a little bit more um, rational about product stuff. And now it feels like, it's just like a bordering on obsession. And a lot of times the product isn't even that good. So do you have any hot takes on that world? Well, I don't know how hot it is. And I, and to be honest, I haven't been in that world for 20 years. I, I really, you know, that was sort of my, my foray into it and out of it. But, um, you know, I, I have an iPhone 11 that I just got because my iPhone six died finally. Right. So, so I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not, not really part of that, but I have friends who are very much in the, the cult of product and are the, are the early adopters of everything. 
And I, I can appreciate that why they do it. They're, right. they're coming at it very much from a, an expert lens and someone who's in, in that world. It's not from a, I've got to have the latest greatest because I got to have the latest greatest. It's, it's, this is my livelihood and I need to know everything that's going on. Um, so I think to a certain extent, like, like anything and everything, I, I'm pretty good at looking at the, the whole picture of who that person is and why. And for the most part, you know, if there's a, if there's a soul level legitimate reason for that stuff, then have at it, man. Not me, but have at it. Yeah. So when you, when you got out of that whole world and what you've been doing for the last 10, 15, whatever, do you feel like, um, let me see how I want to phrase this. Do you feel like it gave you, uh, like a broader perspective on kind of like priorities or what's important, or was that more like a having kids thing? Like, where do you, do you think you got, um, there was some point in your adulthood path where you were like, Oh man, work is just whatever. Or like, did you have, did you ever feel like you came to that crossroads or where you were like, this is more like a means to an end. Cause I know there's a, there's a tech San Francisco mindset sometimes that like work is a, a, this huge deal. Cause you're working on stuff that changes the, world or whatever <laughs> so i know right. TiVo wasn't like that but did you do you feel like no somewhat- i i understand i understand the question i think it's i think it's a really good question so and i don't know necessarily that tech is part of that so in my early in my career i was in sports and entertainment and i was doing okay. work cool. i was working super bowls and world cup soccer and and college basketball double headers and uh, rose bowl games and movie premieres and hotel openings in Vegas and all that stuff. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Yep. And I, at, at, in my early twenties and even into thirties, when I was doing that work, I thought like that was the most, I just thought like being part of something cool was really important to me. Yep. Um, I work for, I, I work think, for ESPN, like in the same age range. And I felt the same way. Right. So, so we probably have some cohorts in common, um, just because I, I knew a whole crew of people back in the day at ESPN. Um, and so, you know, were you in Hartford, by the way? Uh, yeah, yeah. For, I was Ooh. there for like three years and then I was in New York for about okay. three to four years. So I was there like about seven years total. Yeah. But like, yeah. Um, I'll let you continue that in one second. But yeah, like to, well, to, but like, wait, to your point, it's like, I remember I went to one Super Bowl and I was working this Friday night party for ESPN and this like some hot girl that was supposed to do like a, this was like maybe early, not, I don't think we had streaming yet, but it was like some YouTube video. We had YouTube already. And some hot girl was supposed to like do these celebrity interviews, got sick. Somehow at the Super Bowl, they couldn't find another hot girl to do this. So they were like, hey, do you want to do these like red carpet Friday night <laughs> Super Bowl weekend interviews? And I remember the first 
dude that rolled up was like Spike Lee, right? <laughs> and I had like grown up in New York too, and so I, I had like a Spike Lee connection to his films plus the Nick stuff, and I was like, holy shit, man! I'm like asking Spike Lee a bunch of questions for a YouTube video that like probably 150 people will ever watch, right? But right. Um, but I was like, holy shit, this is cool. This feels like what a job is supposed to be. That's, now that's I right. feel like I don't have that mindset anymore, but I did. So I totally hear what you're saying. No, but, but see, but see, the thing is, is that, is that you, and I think this is a mistake a lot of us make, is that you still have that mindset. It's just that what's cool has changed. So you get the dopamine spike or whatever the spike is from that same experience doing something that means more to you now right like as marketers or whatever we've and i i wrote about this on linkedin earlier today you know we have this tendency to suck the real meaning out of words and we're about to do it with empathy in record time um but but we did it with purpose we've done it with authenticity we <laughs> yeah yeah. As I wrote, as I wrote, we would do it with vulnerability, but people are too afraid to be vulnerable in the first place. So we, we don't even get the chance to destroy what that word means. And so, so I, I think that back then it gave you a feeling of value and worth. And that's all any of us really want. We just want to feel like we are doing something that creates <clears throat> success and creates a sense of value, whatever, however those values are defined for us. And in our 20s, our values defined by doing cool shit that we can talk about at bars with our buddies later that night. Yep. And in our 30s, 40s, and now 50s, you know, my value is about creating a decent life for my family and, and helping my kids see where the, where the potholes are, but not keeping them from going over them, but just right. like, Explaining what'll happen, and if he wants to go over him, have at it. Um, and and trying to sh show him uh, all the places where I feel I went wrong and still struggle with whatever level of regret or whatever, and 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 just be very open with him in that way. So so yes, fatherhood obviously changes yeah. fucking everything, right? right. And my kid's right. now fourteen and a half, and as I say, he's like, he's totally living his best life because he didn't want to go back to the school that he goes to. So now he doesn't have to. <laughs> and, um, and he's super stoked about it. And he's sitting in his music studio creating music all day. And it's like his dream. He misses right. his friends, but he's pouring it into art, which makes me as happy as I can be. Because when I was 14 and a half, I, I wish that I had written more or whatever, but I didn't know that that was something that I could do. I, I was looking for permission for all these different things. And I just, he's got it. Like, dude, yeah. you don't need me to give you permission. Go, here's the things that you have to do and the check boxes that we kind of want to check. But right. if you miss some of these boxes, just explain why and let's figure it out. And so do you feel like good? Um, I feel like people get, uh, miss the boat on this definition a lot do you feel like good parenting is kind of like you advance the next generation not necessarily to have it 
better than you because there's like kind of economic and macro inputs into that but like sure to to avoid the the pitfalls or the bullshit that you maybe had to like trudge in for periods so that they can trudge in a different set of bullshit but like kind of advance where you and your wife were or like what do you think constitutes like quote-unquote good parenting I think good parenting for me is is creating an environment where uh, my kid can be um, emotionally intelligent and independent, and so and it and it requires a lot of times me to set aside. You know, early early on, for example, I was. I was pretty hell bent on the idea that, you know, you really need to do well in school. And the reason why you do well in school is because it gives you options. It doesn't mean that you're going to get into Harvard, but it gives you a better chance to get into Harvard. And who cares whether you go there or not, you could still choose the local community college if you want to, but, but give yourself as many options as you want. And, and what I realize is that while that's still true, and this thing is going to totally screw with higher education and everything anyway, you could get straight A's, get a 1,400 on the SATs, be a starter on the basketball team for four years, and still not get into a good school or, quote-unquote, the right school or your, your number one choice. So at some point, for me, I think good parenting is, is letting your kid find out who and helping your kid find out who he, she, they are and doing whatever is necessary to support the development of that human. And for some kids, it means, holy shit, my kid is a fucking genius. And we're going to, and, and, and he wants to take college classes in eighth grade. All right. Or wow, my kid's really got a talent for creating beats. And while he's remote learning, if he wants to spend more time creating beats than he does, you know, if that's his first priority in school, the second priority, I'm okay with that. Because, you know, this whole thing is weird and screwy. So why, why force him into a box that he's never really fit in anyway? Um, and and it's, sometimes it's challenging, you know? And, and I also think that, you know, there's, there's times when, when, I, when he was growing up and I'd get super pissed at him. And then I realized the reason I was pissed was because he was responding in the same way that I used to respond. And I didn't yeah. like that reaction in myself. And right. I was really mad at myself because I had taught him the same reaction. So then do you think there's kind of like a, would you say there's almost like a, like a large, like inward um, self-awareness mirror going along with fatherhood in that respect? Yeah. And I think I absolutely. Right. I mean, we, we, the, the best eyes on ourselves are the ones that are, 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 are through our kids' eyes. Right. And so, my kid, I remember he did something, I can't remember, spilled milk, spilled water, whatever. And he was so immediate, like, I'm so sorry, dad. And I was like, well, what? I, I don't care. It's spilt, like, it's literally spilt milk, whatever. Is that, and I asked him, like, did I used to get mad at stuff like that? He goes, oh, all the time. Oh, wow. And, That's interesting, and, yeah. And I, and, and the reason why I got mad is because I thought that it was my job to keep everything perfect. And if, and if spilt milk meant something wasn't perfect, it meant that that spilt milk was on me and somehow I made it about me. And so, you know, over the course of, 
years and work and taking harder looks at myself and trying to better understand myself, I, I, who, who gives a shit, right? It's right. spilt milk, but it was great to, I, I liked the fact that he was able to be like, yeah, you were a total dick. You know, he didn't quite right. say it that way, but. But that's also I think, completely open, like in the name of like, you know, helping uh, people like people that you biologically produce right. have a better like pathway to like emotional, intellectual uh, openness and health. Right. And stuff. That falls in line there, you know. I think I think I tell I've told this story a lot, but my favorite conversation I think that I've ever had with him was right at the beginning of seventh grade. He went from being and he's in eighth now, but he went yeah. from being like the just the sweetest, most loving, kind, compassionate kid to a teenager, like flip the switch. And he was just a right. dick. Right. And and he was an asshole to my wife and he was grouchy and mean and he locked himself in his room. And, and finally I snapped and I went in there and I said something to him and he gave me some snarky response and I stormed out and slammed the door. I, I got right outside his door. I took a deep breath. I walked in. I said, I need you to just put your phone down. And I said, here's the deal. You're almost 13 or you are 13. You've got, crap flowing through your body that you don't understand you're right. dealing with friend relationships right now that you don't understand plus at your age you have a moral obligation to be a dick to your parents so what i need to understand <laughs> true, what i what i need to understand is where's the baseline level of dick and <laughs> like that's okay that's okay so if we're above the baseline level of dick We've got to talk about that to get you back to baseline. But right. if it's just baseline dick, then I'm okay, like, okay. And I said, so right now, the way you're being, do we have something to talk about? Or is this just baseline dick? And he goes, baseline dick. Yeah. I go, no. And I go, I go, no problem, man. Let me know if you need to talk about anything. And like his, <laughs> his jaw dropped and his eyes got wide and I just walked out. And, and I, Ever since then, if he's really an ass, I'm like, dude, baseline dick. And he's like, yeah. And he just snaps him out of it, you know? Yeah. And, but like, I, I've never been, I've never been more proud of my own parenting as I was in that, in that moment. And right. because dick moment, lost yeah. my mind. Yeah. What a, uh, I love, and I love that, by the way, like for me, like you, you talk about like what drives me. It's conversations like that with anybody. Yeah. Yeah, with anybody, man. And that, it's kind of it's kind of weird. Like, I don't know what your whole take on this is. And uh, it probably helps a little bit that you have a son. Although, um, if he's, like, a little bit more artistic, you might run into this, too. But, like, um, I feel like one of the things that, like, kind of helps with us, and this is, like, a broad 35,000-foot uh, level thing, but, like, I just feel like you talk about the conversational aspect of it, like people that are obsessed with like Instagram or TikTok or whatever. And I know it's fashionable to blame stuff on social media, but people that are obsessed with that stuff, like it's, it feels like it's conversation, but it's not like a baseline dick level of conversation. Like it's more just like 
people exchanging like moments or value structure or whatever. And I kind of worry if like two, three generations hence, like when your kid has kids or whatever, like if we're going to be able to have like cool, like conversations that you remember forever, or if somehow right. like, that's going to be adapted out of human beings, you know, I know that's like, I- that's a very like thing that everybody writes in like thought pieces, you know, but. Well, I, it, it, it's, so it, it's not wrong, right? Like I, I've had to learn to read shorthand code and, you know, I, I, I've had to learn that, Hey, how's it going? Good in a text is really super meaningful and it good. Is meaningful, is, yeah. Good. Good is like, Oh no, it's all good. Blah, blah, blah. I had a good day. Yada, yada, yada. Versus, versus like okay versus nothing like i like you learn you learn that but and and i always i always wondered about his ability to to you know talk on the phone because they're his they don't call each other they um, they get on whatever you know house party or facetime and just sort of co-work um but and and I work sometimes with high school seniors and juniors who are who are writing essays and things for college, or I work with a lot of college kids and help them try to hook up with mentors and jobs and things. And I'll say to them, Hey, I need you to send me, you know, send me a cover letter that you want me to, or send me a note that you want me to forward on to XYZ to introduce to you so that I can make this connection. And they're atrocious. Oh yeah, you know? horrible. Oh, I so, that. so as much as, and I think you'll appreciate this based on what you do for a living. As much as I'm concerned about the ability to communicate with voice, I'm far more concerned about writing and, word, yeah. and the written word and the the ability to express themselves in an essay or an email or, or a cover letter or whatever, whatever it is, because, you know, I've long, I speak at USC a couple of times a year and I'm always asked, you know, what, what are some skills that we got to have? And I, I say, you need to know how to sell and you need to know how to write. And, uh, and it's, well, what's, this is like a mini tangent. What's always amazing to me is that, when you talk to like even like mid-level executive people in like white collar type roles, they're always like, oh, people need like critical thinking skills. It's like yeah, yeah, like on surface maybe, but in reality, like a lot of drones who can't think critically do just fine, like in the conventional buckets of life, if they know how to either sell or communicate in like right. a memo, you know that so. To that point, you're 100 percent right. And I think I think that if there's and I said this in the very early days of this whole and California has been shelter in place from the really early right, this right. week. This is a week five for us. Oh, right. um, you know, so I said this at the very beginning that I thought that some of the positives that were going to come out of this were sort of a more you know a return to community and and communication and it, I, here I am. I said empathy in the early days. I don't even want to say it anymore. 
but True. emotional intelligence. And I, I, I think that emotional intelligence is another one of those concepts that marketers um, start to destroy. Um, but, you know, the ability to be in touch with what drives you and how to communicate it um, is truly important. And yeah, hundred percent. The artistic soul is is truly important, and I I think that all too often we we think that there's checklists that we're supposed to be measured against. And you've posted about this on LinkedIn oh, with yeah. hiring, with all the hiring stuff, yeah. and 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 you know it it's crazy to me how. You know, there's this book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, which is always lauded as one of the great business books of all time. And his whole premise is like, get the right people on the bus. Who cares what their, who yep. cares what their skill set is? If they've got the right stuff. Yeah, they can, the figure, number one it, they can figure it out. Right. And right. So, you, may, you, you may need a linebacker, but if number one on the draft board is a lineman, you take that oh, guy. Yeah. yeah you know, and so. And it's so, amazing I, too. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, so I'm I'm always shocked by how much uh, how how rarely corporate America um, does that, and how much they complain about the cost of turnover, and how much people complain about their jobs. But it's because they're not they're not able to go get the job they really want because quote they don't have the right skills. Right. Which and is, yeah. I've always yeah. People who were like, this is the job I've, I know I've got 10 years of accounting experience, but I've always wanted to be an advertiser. Yeah. Tell you why. I'm going to hire that person. Yeah, 100%. But that also probably puts you in the top, like, 3 to 10% of thinking about that model, right? Because most people can't break the previous competence, previous accomplishments thing. And I think that in large part is because people don't want to hire someone that's going to come in and maybe not instantly know how to do certain shit, right? That's like right. a fear that a lot of, well, especially like mid-level type bosses have that fear all the time, right? I agree. Um, yeah, so like I have a, I always think it's funny how we like deify sports and we always try to like draw a parallel. Sorry. Well, I was trying to draw parallels between like sports and business, which is very fraught because like uh, in professional sports, you're already talking about like the 1% of the 1%. And there's a lot of drones and idiots in corporate jobs, right? So, but what's funny is your analogy before is perfect because it's like any good talent manager in a sports league is like, okay, man, I need a linebacker, but the best available person to me right now is a lineman. So I'm going to get that because I know having like legitimate talent versus a forced need or like a second, third tier person at my need position is going to be better. But like we don't, right. for, for various reasons, like we don't think that way in terms of like work hiring, right? We only... Well. Yeah, we only apply it to like sports and some other stuff. My friend, my friend Kenny, who is uh, I I uh, I commonly refer to as my best friend who I've never met. He's the leaderboard of all the guys that I know in my life, as, but I've never met. And um, he uh, we 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 talk about this all the time. How we'll apply, or he will have applied for jobs, and I've applied for jobs, and we don't even get an interview. 
but the job gets reposted month after month after month after month after month. After <laughs> yeah, month. Yeah, and I've actually, I've actually had fun with that in the past where I've applied for the same job four times and my cover letter has changed along with that. Hey, you know, I saw that this job was reposted, super stoked, because like I said, the first time, <laughs> and by the last time, I'm putting in, I'm putting in quotes from Shawshank Redemption and Red saying, you know, when he's at the parole hearing for it, he goes, you just go ahead and stamp your little form there, Sonny. And, yeah, and, and, and so I, I, it, and of course, you know, I don't get a call and it gets, and, and so at that point, sometimes applying for jobs has just become sport. I, yeah, I totally. come across, you come across some of these things are like, my favorite one was, we're we believe in transparency so what salary are you looking for and i write if you believe in transparency you would post the salary and then say <laughs> this is what you're looking for yeah yeah so you know, so, yeah, you know uh, I, I so you're i i listened to a previous episode and i thought that your this point was spot on you got a you got approached by some company wanted to do a webinar about hiring and you're like, what are you talking about? Like now? <laughs> yeah, right now. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that there's so little of that. Right. And I think that we, my hope is that some of what's going to get blown up in this, I call it the great transition. It's nowhere near the new normal yet. We're on our way to the new normal, but right. my hope, my hope is that part of what gets blown up is the exact things that you're doing on LinkedIn and your comment response to things like that, where you, where we do start to call bullshit on things in a, in a, again, in the name of making things better. Yeah. In the name sure. of, in the name of making things more human and, and, you know, human focused tech, you know, we're, we're, we've become such slaves to the platforms that are, are designed to keep us fighting with each other um, and they're designed to keep us engaged. It's like the touts, the gambling touts that give you 50% of one answer and 50% of another bet so that they come out fine, but their fans fight all day long and, yep. and they make more money that way. That's yep. the purpose of these platforms is to keep you engaged. And the irony of course is LinkedIn, which there's no fighting because everyone's just like this. Yes. Uh-huh. You said it. I'm with you, brother. Yeah. Sing it. Praise. Spot. It. Like even I did it to you today. I was like spot on, yeah. you know, but, but I was spot on because like you, someone finally said something to tell someone to fuck off, you know, right. like, that's valid. But, 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 but then LinkedIn has its social selling index, which oh, is God. artificial number to keep you engaged. Yeah. So that's was, how they do it. I was listening to something yesterday. I was talking to another guy about this this morning, a friend of mine. It's like um, one of the big blowups, apparently, there's like some new book out. One of the big blowups on Facebook bought Instagram. And one of the things that led to like the Instagram founders leaving and like a bunch of uh, early stage employees leaving was that Instagram's algorithm, like th this is all at a general level, but generally speaking, Instagram's algorithm was built uh, to try to inspire you to want to post. So they would show you stuff that would inspire you to want to do something creative or photo photographic or whatever, right? 
And Facebook's algorithm is literally designed just to drive you as far emotionally as it can. So, like, to show you shit that you just want to rant about or immediately share and rant about or whatever. So the models of the of how the company wants you to engage, even though now eventually it became the same company under the Facebook umbrella, the models of the underlying tech were so different at core. I've, obviously, there's a lot of like politics and ego and stuff that played into everything, but it's just like the the companies were so different in terms of how they were trying to engage users, right? And I agree, that's like kind of a huge thing we have going now where like people just get inflamed by like the simplest bullshit <laughs> that right. comes across their transom or whatever. Well, and... and... Go ahead, sorry. Oh, um, no, one thing I wanted to ask you though is like, because we were talking about some of this box checking in a work sense. Yeah. Okay, I always feel like, um, you know, like this... It feels to me that this happens like near expensive subdivisions more, but that might be like a generalization. I feel like if you go out to eat and you see a family with two kids, four people, and like everybody's on a different device, right? And there's like no interaction, okay? Um, I always feel like I know parenting, especially when you're the kids are younger, is hard and exhausting. I always feel like when I see that shit, though, that, like, those people had kids to almost, like, check life boxes. Like, they didn't necessarily, like, want the kids so much as, like, their friends were having kids or, like, they were getting parental pressure or whatever. So, like, in your own case, do you feel like when you guys had a kid or we're getting around that period, so I guess like 14 years ago, 15 years ago, do you feel like it was something where you were like, yeah, I'm really in sync on this, or was it that plus like there were external um, well, factors? So really, so that's a really interesting question. So my wife and I uh, got together a little bit older, and we had been together five years, and huh. the, the or married for five years, and the the... You know, wondering, going back and forth. We had a pretty good little life. We were, lived in Silicon Valley. We both had jobs in Silicon Valley. We were making some money and and um, we were eating out all the time and traveling. And it was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And 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 going back and forth. Do we want to have? What's life going to be like for a kid? And you know, we're sort of in it now where we're like, holy shit, this is what freaked us out. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, we went to dinner at her parents' house one night and her dad, who was uh, much older, um, uh, was just on fire. Like he was like <laughs> the very best version of himself on this particular night. And, and as we were driving home, I said, I said, you know, if there's any inclination of us wanting to have a kid, we should absolutely do it so that our kid can meet that guy. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And, that's, that's and, um, and that really was the, the thing that pushed us over the hump. And, and my son and his grandfather had, even though he wasn't around for very long in, in my son's life, um, 
they had a really, really special relationship. And my son remembers things that most kids, you know, at age two or whatever, don't like he really remembers sitting on his grandfather's lap and playing the piano and, and some of the music that he's probably into now, you know, was passed through that side. And, um, I never felt any pressure like we had to. And in fact, you know, we're, we're Jewish and her, her mom used to always say, so, you know, when's the grandchild? And we'd be like, and I said, every time you ask, it's another year. And so, and so she, she quickly got quiet. Um, but I, I understand your point. I also think that, I also think that sometimes people go into it with the right intentions and just don't realize how hard it is. You know, you hear about, you hear about couples, you hear about couples wanting to have a kid to save their relationship and you're like, no, that's not going to do it. So I went to, I went to like an HR technology conference about like a year and a half ago. And one night I, I think it was in Vegas, I want to say. And one night I went out to, like, some bar in, like, some shitty casino, like, some bar in Cosmopolitan or something. And I met this guy, and it turns out he had written, like, a bunch of books, and he was, like, classified as an influencer on, like, LinkedIn and shit, right? I had no idea at the time. But I remember we were talking about the same issue, and he was, like, the... He's like, the three things that people think can save a, a floundering relationship that never work are like a kid, a ring, or a threesome. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's pretty good, man. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, and, yeah. and the, other, the other thing to keep in mind, dude, and, and I really try to do this a lot, is that you have no idea what happened in that family's life that day. And it may be it may point. be the only thing that that is keeping the mom or dad from completely breaking down is the ability to go out in public and just let the kids be online because their grandmother died that day or, you know, something we, we just don't we we have a tendency to fill in other people's stories to make ourselves feel better. And and like and and there's just we don't know, like when. I always say this to my kid, right? Like sometimes you get a server at a restaurant who just, just doesn't, it's just mean. And you're like, right. you know what? You have to, you have to kind of think that something went sideways for that person today. And yeah, sure. the only way to handle it is to kill that person with a little bit more compassion and understanding. And, and maybe they're just mean, but I feel a little bit better you know, and, and I'm not always perfect at this. My son will remind me someone cuts me off and I flip out it's like that. Maybe he's in a hurry and has to get to the hospital. You don't know. And you're like, you know what? Yeah, we, we, we don't know. Yeah. I actually and it's, got... it's easier. I think it's easier to default to judgment, but it's better to default to compassion. Right. A hundred percent. And the world would be a much better place if we could come. Especially like... now even get to 50% you know, on that idea, you know, to your, to your conversation. And I think it was the last episode about self-promotion on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. 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 It, I, this is a really hard one for me because it makes me nuts. And, but the reason it makes me nuts is because I'm really not good at it. And I wish, and you guys got into jealousy a little bit. I wish that I could find a way to, um, 
sort of credibly do it. And I actually think the way to credibly do it, and I was having this conversation with you guys out loud as I was walking and listening to this, uh, uh-huh. you, you do self-promote. We also, any, any content that we post is Yeah, it's all self-promotion by default. That's right. It's just that, it's just that yours isn't me, 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 me. It's, hey, I want to, my self-promotion is making people take a look at the bigger picture all around us. Mine is, you know, more about emotional engagement with the world than me telling you exactly how to work from home. Um, Or, hey, look at this win that I had. But again, we don't know the set of circumstances that that person is working in, and that person's audience might need exactly what it is that he or she or they is posting. And it's just, it's easier to just take a deep breath and go, whatever, man, that's your lane. This is mine. And, and it, and it, yes, it's sometimes hard when you look at that person and that, and that person gets 750 comments and 12,000 like whatever engagements. And you're like, you're, you're scratching your head going, I just don't, I don't get it. And you know what? So what? You don't get it. And that's the hard part. That's the hard part, but it's important. Yeah. You know, we I, have to, as long as you're doing it from your core and your heart and your soul, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. And if something, what somebody else is doing bugs the shit out of you, then there's something off in your heart, your core, and your soul. Right. You're probably lacking some degree of like compassion, empathy yourself, honestly. Regarding or that. you're not, or you're not living according, there's something in the way you're doing things that isn't aligned with who you are and you've got to go figure out because if you're aligned and you're doing your thing, nothing else, no one else's shit can bother you. Cause I'm right. like right in my fucking swim lane right here and I'm killing it. And Oh, Hey, that guy's swimming faster than me. That cool. Go get him. Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't matter. Um, all right. So last thing I was going to ask you, and it's like, it's, I don't know, kind of like a bigger, questions so you don't have to have some otherworldly answer or whatever because i'm putting you on the spot with it but you know whether you want to say last 14 years or whatever since your kid or even if you want to do last five to ten years like as you've gotten more into adulthood and your own like kind of place in the world and everything um are there any like kind of bigger buckets of shit that you feel like you've realized or thought about more that maybe when you were younger it never really like dawned on you and you know it could be tied to fatherhood or whatever but is there are there like kind of things that 25 year old 30 year old you would never have like even really conceptualized that now you're like okay this is like a principle that i think about things through you know a couple of things okay. um, one is one is that um, I grew up uh, needing permission to do things that I wanted to do. So whether it was you know my parents and and even as I got older, you know, 19 years old and going to summer school and wanting to take an acting class and no, you can't take acting. I'm like, okay, so I didn't have permission to do it, so I didn't do it. Um, so it took me a really, really long time to understand that we don't need permission to be ourselves. And, I, and then the other thing that I'm thinking about a lot these days, I just finished reading a book called Cured by Jeffrey Rediger. Um, okay. 
and it's it's about spontaneous remission from terminal disease. But he talks a lot about in order to heal from everyone that he studied that that was cured of these these terminal diseases worked really hard to heal their identities. And so I realize now that we do have these soul level identities and we do know what our voice sounds like and we do know what our dreams look like and we do know what the best version of ourselves look like, but we are, we live in a constant state of fear, whether it's a fear of failure, a fear of disappointing somebody. We, we have all this luggage that we've carried with us all these years that we need to unpack. And I, I think that, you know, now more than ever, if there is, it's so funny, the more now more than ever is another cliche that drives me nuts. And I apologize for using it. Um, but I think that we have this opportunity in this time to really take a look at unpacking what that is. I read another LinkedIn post that was about, so, you know, here's the five things to think about if losing your job. And number five was, figure out your narrative and like, what's your story going to be and blah, blah, blah. And I, I, rec I responded, it's like, you know what, now is the time to, to kind of heal your story and get over the things that we tell ourselves and that we teach ourselves and that we've been told and that we've been taught that keep us in a place because that's quote, what our story is. So don't, don't just go craft the narrative, go, go fix the cracks in the narrative and find your truth and, that's what's going to get you to the job you really want. When you can sit with an interviewer and say what you want to say instead of what you think they want to hear, it's empowering. You might not get the job, but it's empowering. I've lost clients because I don't, I, I fell into the client service mode so dramatically and deeply that I wasn't saying what I really felt. And as a result, I didn't keep the business. So I think permission and identity, um, and I think they go hand in hand, but those are two things that I think about a lot now that I didn't think about back then.